The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. There are certain aspects of life, there are certain aspects of development or growth that can't be accomplished all at once. They're just one of those things that it has to be um, a constant uh, focus. It's got to be a constant part of our life. Um, and, and it would be easier if we could just do it in one chunk, just kind of accomplish it, but it, we can't. It's just got to be something that gets drawn out over time. Like, let me just give you an example. Um, taking care of your teeth. Like, it would be really nice if you could say, okay, this brushing the teeth thing, like, every day is too much. Okay, so... I'm just going to give one good week of, like, teeth care. I am going to brush my teeth like crazy for a solid week. I mean, like, all day I'm just going to be brushing my teeth. I'm going to floss, like, every five minutes. And I am just, that is going to be the week of the tooth, okay, is going to be that week. And then I, I think I'm going to be covered from then on, okay? Like, clearly that is not going to work. Like, Brushing your teeth hopefully is a rhythm in your life every day, all right? If not, maybe this is your application for the day, okay? Just tossing it out there. Um, but hopefully, you know, that you brush your teeth in the morning, you brush your teeth at night, you floss, you know, every day, hopefully. And so it, it's like that. It's like it's got to be a rhythm. We've got to work it into the rhythms of our life. Well, it's similar dynamic when it comes to the spiritual development of our lives. It would be nice if we could kind of encapsulate it and be like, look, I just need like a really good book. I'm just going to dig in, read this book I'm gonna, for the month, and then I'm kind of like back on track and I'm good. Or I wish I could just go to a conference. Is there a conference? Or I can, can I just dig in for a season? The spiritual development is one of those things that it's got, it has to become a rhythm. And that's actually true of the spiritual development of our children as well. In this series, we're talking about how to raise children with a faith of steel. And man, that's an intimidating thing to do. That's like, how do we do that? Maybe you say, look, I, I didn't see that in the house I grew up in. I have no idea how to do that. That's an intimidating thing. And so we're looking at a passage that breaks that down very simply. And one of the things it talks about is rhythms. It gives us a way to think about it. Now, this is something, maybe you say, look, I'm here. Man, I'm not even dating someone, let alone married with children. Man, if you're here and you say, look, I don't have kids yet, this, you might get the most out of this series of anyone because you can begin building your framework before you're even blessed with children in your life. Maybe you have young children or young grandchildren. There are things you can immediately put into practice. Maybe you have teenagers uh, in your life um, that maybe that you have in your home or your grandkids or you influence. Maybe they're your nieces and nephews. There are things you can immediately practice. The scripture is faithful to, to speak into this role of spiritually developing children no matter what season of life that we are in. And so we've been looking at this one particular passage through this series. It's got a title. It's called the Shema. And it's in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 4. Can you open to Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 in your Bible or Bible app? I want to read through this passage um, that we've been looking at all together. And then we're going to zero in on one particular verse. Deuteronomy 
6, verse 4. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now these last three weeks, we've been digging into the beginning of this section. And week one, we looked at that verse that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. In other words, when it comes to God, we know that by definition, God is over everything. So in our lives, God should be over everything. In other words... We're to love God with all we've got, our hearts, our souls, all of our might. To put it as simply as possible, your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life. Your relationship with God, it cascades into every part of your life. So we've got to start there. Week two, we looked at the way it worded this one section. It said, um, hide it in your heart. Put it on your heart, your relationship with God, and the fervor you have in your relationship with God. And then it says, teach it to our children. Why is that the next place it goes? Because the kids in our lives, or the future kids in your life, are the greatest gift we are given. And so if our faith is the most important part of our life, then the most important thing we can pass on to our children is a faith. If our children are the most important thing we can leave behind, and the faith is the most important thing we can develop in our kids, then there is almost no higher priority than developing the faith of our children. And the way it words it is hide it in your heart and then teach it to your children. The best way to pass on a, a, a fervent faith, a vibrant faith to our children is to have a vibrant faith ourselves. Because so much of parenting is that our children, there are things that, they're, that they are going to, um, it, it's more about what is caught than what is taught. So the passing it down to our kids. Last week we looked at that one phrase that says, teach them when you are sitting in your house and when you're going by the way. And Pastor Justin was teaching us, this talks in these two very helpful categories. Plan moments, seize moments. There's moments when you sit down in your house, you bring the family together, or the, or the extended family. There's times when, when you actually have your, your kids, they're not at your ex's house, you actually have them, plan moments to sit. There's times when you actually have the grandkids, or there's times that you can plan to take the grandkids out. You have to plan, we have to plan those moments, and then seize those moments. There are times that we get that phone call, we get that text message, we, we have that question when they're laying down at night. Plan moments and seize moments. Look, think in those categories for spiritual develop, spiritually developing our children. Well, I want to look back at verse 7, and I want you, we want to look at this next section and really dig into it today, this next way it builds this framework. Look at verse 7 again. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, 
I want you to look at that last pair, when you lie down and when you rise. It's talking about when you lie down to go to sleep and when you get up in the morning. Why is it giving us that pair? Those are things we do every single day. We lie down at night. We wake up in the morning. It's talking about that daily rhythm. Think in terms of the rhythms that we have in our homes. It's, it's cueing us to think about rhythms. Now, I want you to notice the way it's worded there is very strategic. It says, when you lie down and when you rise. Um, we typically think of the day as starting when we rise, right? We wake up in the morning, the birds are chirping, the sun is shining, we're starting a brand new day, okay, or at least after I've had a cup of coffee, I feel like that, all right? If we stretch, all right, it's a new day. But that's actually not how um, the ancient Hebrews thought about it. We think of like the day begins when I get up and it ends when I go to sleep. But did you notice the order that this said? It's when you lie down and when you rise. See, ancient Hebrew, the Bible actually talks in the Old Testament, the day began at sunset. Can you imagine like trying to shift your brain to think like that? Can you imagine this evening, the sun goes down, and you're like, ah, oh, Monday's here. It'd be, like, it'd be hard to like think in those terms, right? That was wired into their culture. If you went all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, it presents God as creating the universe in seven days. And at the end of the each, each day, it says, and there was evening and morning the first day or the second day. God wired his people to think in terms of lying down first and rising second. It, the, the day begins at sundown and, and then ends the next day as the sun is, as sun is setting. When the sun goes down, it begins a new day. There's a lot of reasons for this, but one is very practical. Think about this. When the sun goes down, the decisions you make between then and when you go to bed affect the next day dramatically, don't they? That second bowl of ice cream that you really regret, okay? It's when that Netflix episode ends and it has a countdown of 13 seconds for you to make a wise decision. Man, I really should go to bed. I mean, it left me on such a cliffhanger. I mean, should I watch one more? No, I'm going to be so exhausted. All right, I'm going to, oh, it started. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay, the decisions you make. The night before, okay, four episodes later, you're like, this was such a dumb decision, okay? There's some practical wisdom, okay, to think in terms of the day starting when the sun sets. That starts a new day. That was their daily rhythm. They had a weekly rhythm. Their weekly rhythm also was baked in from Genesis chapter 1. God worked for six days, rested on the seventh day. It was not because God was exhausted. It was bringing them a weekly rhythm, and then he taught his people one of the key things. He says, for you to have a sustainable rhythm in your life, you need to have a day for rest. And that day was not just to kick back. That day was reserved as holy. God's people came together. They worshiped together. They, they had that spiritual reset together. That was part of their weekly rhythm. They had yearly rhythms. They had... Um, 
feasts all throughout the year that they would do every single year, generation after generation. Um, they would have, there were three feasts a year that they would actually all travel to Jerusalem for. One of them was Passover. And the way the feast worked is it incorporated the, like the whole family. They would bring this lamb, each, each family would bring a lamb into their home. And at the end of the week, they'd sacrifice the lamb and then they would have a feast of lamb. And it was teaching them something about how God had saved them from the slavery of Egypt. They had a, another festival that was called the, the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would every family would go uh, outside of their home and they would build a shanty, a little hut, and they would live in it for a week. It, it was camping. Can you imagine how that, if every, can you, guys, can you imagine if like every dad was responsible to build like a little shanty, okay? There'd be the guy a few doors down that's like an engineer. He'd have like a two-story shanty with an elevator in it, all right? I'd have a broomstick in the ground with a sheet on top of it. You know, my family get rained on, okay? That's what they would do. They would do that, incorporated the whole family. They would live in shanties to remind themselves how God had provided for them as they had gone through the wilderness. God knew how to build culture. He knew what the regular rhythms he wanted among his people that they would touch down on every year, multiple times during the year. There'd be these different feasts. But I want you to notice the way they did them. These were not things that were, they were not drudgery. It was not like, oh man, is it tabernacles again? They were feasts. There was celebration. There was music. There was good food. There was dancing. There was families together, friends together. It was fun. They had these rhythms. This passage is teaching us, okay, if we're going to train our children, we've got to think in terms of rhythms. It's the spiritual development of our families and our children is not one of those things that can just be all done at once. It's not one of those things like, really, I, I had gave my kids that lecture that one time, and it was a good lecture. I can't believe they're still struggling with it. I mean, didn't we talk about this before? It's not one of those things that can just be done all at once. You know, there's some good, like, Big moments, you know, man, if I could just get my child on a mission trip, if I could just get them to go to camp, those are great. But that's got to be part of an ongoing rhythm. Those things by themselves are not enough. It's, spiritual development is in terms of rhythms. So I, I want to walk through this practically together. When you came in on your um, seat was a worksheet. Can everyone go ahead and pick that up? Can everyone take out that worksheet? Now, here is your homework this week. Take 30 minutes and work through this worksheet. If you're married, work through this worksheet with your spouse. Think through whether you have kids, young kids, older kids, future kids, grandkids, um, kids you don't see as often, wherever it is, work through these rhythms to take advantage of these rhythms. Now, the, now the challenge is I'm talking to two groups of people here while I hold up this worksheet. Some of you are planners, and some of you we will just call free spirits, okay? <laughs> you planners, this is the most excited you've ever been in church in your life. And the biggest challenge for you is how in the world can I have a 10-page detailed plan like with just this little piece of paper, okay, and you're already thinking through the Excel spreadsheet with graphs and pie charts, all right? Others of you, you free spirits, okay, when you saw worksheet, you threw up in your mouth a little bit, all right? 
And so here is the challenge, okay? God has probably married the two of you together, all right? So planners, okay, I know you already have the PowerPoint presentation in your mind you are going to present to your free spirit. Okay, it's just 30 minutes, okay? You've got to keep it to 30 minutes. Um, you free spirits, you can survive for 30 minutes, okay? Sit down tonight. Maybe it's over lunch. Maybe it's you, you, when you get home, you take this and you put it on the remote control. Before you pick that up, you pick this up. Okay, 30 minutes. Give it in, as an investment to thinking through the rhythms of your family. Okay, I want you to look at the first one. The first one is hourly. And I want you to write in that blank. Here's the theme I want you to think about hourly. I want you to think in terms of prayer. Does that mean you have to like set an alarm and stop at a certain time every hour in prayer? No, that's not what we're talking about. But elevate thinking about a rhythm of prayer from something you think about in terms of daily and to something you think in terms of throughout the day when any opportunity you get. If we one day want our kids, our grandkids, our future kids, if we're wanting our children that we're responsible for to have a vibrant prayer life where they know at any moment they can just stop and, and talk to their creator. We've got to show them how to do that. We've got to do that with them. And so think in terms of prayer throughout the day. You know, there's the praying um, before meals. That's great. Praying before meals. Regardless of whether you're at a restaurant, whether you have friends over, whether there's extended family over, what a great moment to just stop and pray before bed. What a great, great opportunity. Maybe you only get your grandkids uh, a couple weekends a year. But before bed, sometimes that's when they're, they're thinking through their day. How often as an adult do you lie there with, staring up at the ceiling with all the things that are stressing you out, keeping you from falling asleep? Equip them with the rhythm of prayer in the, in before they fall asleep at night. But what about other opportunities? How about if uh, you take young children to school? How about uh, in the car line? Uh, Rebecca and I started this with um, our daughter. We drop her off for kindergarten, and so sometimes I'm dropping off, sometimes Rebecca's dropping her off. And um, so we, before we pull in, we say, hey, do you want to pray about anything? And what should we pray? What should we talk to Jesus about? And she typically, it's something about recess that she wants to pray about. So that's what we pray about. And uh, But one time she said, um, well, Daddy, I... You know, I, I was sitting at table one, but I got moved to table four, and I like being at table one, and I've been now at table four for a couple uh, weeks, and I would just really like to be back at table one. Can we talk to Jesus about that? All right, let's talk to Jesus about it. So she prayed this simple prayer, and Jesus, help my teacher to move me back to table one. And I said, okay. So then later that day, um, I see her in the evening, and I um, say, so, sweetheart, how was your day? Oh, well, this and this happened, a recess, and we played that, and we did this. And, oh, and I got moved back to table one, and then this and that. I'm like, whoa, 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 what? She's like, oh, yeah, Jesus answered my prayer. I got moved back to table one. <laughs> I'm like, this is a miracle, people. <laughs> I get out my diary, dear diary. You do answer prayer, Lord, okay? But, like, my, for my daughter, it was like, yeah, I prayed about it. Jesus did it. Like, Dad, it's not rocket science, okay? Like, build in a rhythm of prayer, okay? One time we were driving, and it was Rebecca and I and both our kids, and an ambulance went by with all the sirens. And, you know, my, my son was like, oh, an ambulance. And he was looking at that. And, and Rebecca said, oh, well, that means that probably someone's hurt and going to the hospital. And they're like, oh, oh. And, and um, she said, well, should we pray for them? 
And so the, the kids, one of them just prayed for whoever was hurt. And so now every time an ambulance goes by, we apparently we stop and pray. It became a rhythm for us. Find opportunities to build in that rhythm of prayer. You, we have to tr do it with our children, with grandchildren, with stepchildren, with the children you babysit, with nieces and nephews. Take that opportunity to make prayer a part of the regular rhythm of your home. And so then and throughout the day, we have to pray with them so that one day when they're on their own, they know what it looks like to be in constant prayer with their creator. One tip before we go to the next one. There's nothing inherently wrong with memorized formulaic prayers. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for the food. There's nothing wrong with that. But a better option is to train them to just pray in their own words from day one. Just let them talk to Jesus on their own. You're showing them that they don't have to be a Shakespearean poet when they talk to God. He knows who they are. And by the way, man, they will blow your mind with what they come up with some days when they pray. Make prayer an hourly rhythm. Okay, here's number two, uh, daily. Think in terms of every day. Think in terms of the Bible. Uh, frankly, just uh, on an honest note, this was the one that I was the most convicted on just kind of studying uh, through this is that, you know, we get the Bible to our kids in all different ways and they get some exposure uh, all the time. But I was like, you know what? But I want there to be a predictable, consistent way because one day I want them, this is my ultimate goal, is when that child is in middle school or high school, I can say, hey, you know, you're, you're in sixth grade. You know what we should do? Um, let's go pick you out your own Bible. You pick it out. We'll pick out a journal. We'll get a nice one. You can pick it out. And then let's think about a day, a time in the day that you're going to read the Bible a little bit and, and, and write in there. I want that them to get in the habit of finding a predictable time every day to study the Bible. Think about, think in terms of daily. Here's three categories to think in. The first is when. When are you going to do it during the day? The second is what, what resource. And then the third one is how. The first one is the hardest part. Find a time that can be that you can figure out that's sustainable, that's realistic, that you can do during the day. When I was growing up, um, my um, throughout uh, as a child into high school, um, we sat down every morning as a family for breakfast. It was a ridiculous hour in the morning. Okay, it was early. Okay, we all sat down, and my dad would sit down, and he would read a section in the Bible to us, and um, he'd say, does anyone have any thoughts? And I was like half asleep in my cereal most of the time, and honestly, in 18 years, I don't remember ever having any thoughts, okay, about what was read. But it was a rhythm, and I heard the scripture every day, find a time. Maybe if you have young kids or grandkids, maybe it's after bath, before story time, as you're kind of landing the plane for the night, you sit down, and you read something. Maybe if you've got older kids, maybe or older grandkids, or maybe you're watching kids. Maybe it's in the car. You listen to an audio Bible, and and you find that time. That is most of the battle. Find that time. Second is what is the resource? Turn your worksheet over on the back. You now have uh, ideas for all the resources that you need. The top three are Bibles with the recommended age range. These the kind of um, some overlap here. That Jesus Storybook Bible is awesome. You can start reading it to your, to your child or your grandchild the moment they're born. If you go through fifth grade, it's got great illustrations. It takes each of the Bible stories and shows how it points to Jesus. 
This next one, the New Living Translation, great, very readable translation for any age. This might be great for middle school, high school. The ESV Study Bible, that is a Bible that has, it's a very accurate translation, has um, notes for the tough parts that are hard to understand. This is great for high school on up. I wish every adult owned a copy of this. This is a fantastic resource. I use this almost every day personally. Um, a couple great apps. The Bible app for kids is phenomenal. Um, instead of maybe parking your kids in front of um, YouTube to watch Wheels on the Bus for an hour and a half, which who knew there were so many verses to Wheels on the Bus? Okay, it's crazy. Um, this Bible app for kids, it has all the, many of the Bible stories, and it's interactive. And they learn about these stories. They have little activities they can do. Fantastic free resource. It's used all over the world. Tremendous resource. My kids love that. Um, another U version has got all kinds of translations. These last two, the Tyndale Bible and the NIV Live, have audio Bibles that are just straight scripture, but it's dramatized. So it's very engaging with uh, professional actors reading through the scripture. You can do that. By the way, that would be great for your commute, but also great to listen on a trip, great to listen on the way to school. Find a way, find a resource that's good. And then the last is the how. Just keep it simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be sitting down, okay, Johnny, you've got the Bible Atlas, that's good. Um, here's, I want you to hold, little Susie, these theology books, and Frankie, I've got these commentaries. Okay, we're going to have an in-depth Bible study. Who's got the Greek New Testament? It doesn't have to be that. Just read the Bible. Maybe ask a couple questions, just real simple. Hey, what stuck out to you? Maybe it's, hey, what did, what did this teach us about who God is? What, what did we learn about Jesus? Is there anything that we should do differently in our lives be, after reading this? Keep it really simple. Find the, the right time, the right resource, and then the method that, that you're going to use. Find that time. Now, let me just give you a gut check here before we go to the next one. This is a gut check I, I had recently. Every uh, Sunday night in our home, we have a movie night. And um, our kids rotate between um, who's going to pick the movie, our, our, our two kids. And tonight... My son, it's his turn. So that inevitably me means, I guarantee you, it will be one of three movies, okay? It will either be Cars 1, Cars 2, or Cars 3, okay? It will be something involving Lightning McQueen, for sure, all right? And so, I, and, and then when it's my daughter, it's going to be a, a princess movie. It's either going to be Beauty and the Beast or Moana or Frozen or Cinderella. Like, we've got a basic rotation, about eight movies that we watch every Sunday night. Okay, and I was hearing them one day talk about the, some of the Disney characters, and I had this gut check. Do my kids know Disney characters better or Bible characters better? Do they have a better grasp of the Disney canon or the canon of Scripture? Because, by the way, both are teaching doctrine. Cardinal doctrine of Disney is look inside. I mean, this is from like Jiminy Cricket on. Look inside your heart. Find your truth. And stay true to it. That's the most important thing. That's why you almost never find 
a really great parent figure in a Disney movie. And if you do, they die. It's look inside your heart and find your truth. And if my kids know the Disney canon better, is that the doctrine they're learning? Because what the Bible says is there's only one truth. It's a person. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And their, their reference for truth is the person of Jesus Christ. And when they look inside, what they find is polluted. It's self-centered and prideful. I'm not saying that to, to like not do any Disney. Like I'm telling you, we will watch Lightning McQueen tonight, inevitably, in the Barnes household. What I'm saying is I under, I'm wanting to understand that's the doctrine. It's teaching them. I'm unpacking that and explaining that to them. But what's more important than, they, than that my son knows about Mater and Lightning McQueen is does he know about how Moses points to Jesus? Does he know how David and Joshua point to Jesus? Does he know the story of Paul and how he spread the message of Jesus? Does my daughter know more about Rapunzel and Belle and Moana and Cinderella or how Ruth and Esther and Mary point to Jesus? Here's a gut check for us. We are the most resourced generation in the history of the human race. There are hundreds and thousands of years before us where Christians could not read, so they couldn't read the scripture for themselves. And then if they could read, there was not a Bible translated into their language. There are still thousands of people groups that are in that same boat. And we have more access to scripture than any other generation by a long shot. Our children should be the most Bible-saturated generation of children than any other generation in history. Please get them the pure source of truth, the scripture. Find a way to do that every single day. Here's the third one. Think in terms of a weekly rhythm. Think in terms of every week. What was the weekly rhythm for um, God's people in the Old Testament is one day a week, they gathered together to worship together. Right in that blank church. Uh, hourly rhythm is prayer. Daily rhythm is Bible. Weekly rhythm is church. You've got to help your, your children. We've got to help our grandchildren, stepchildren. When you have them, we've got to think in terms of church. Here's three things. One is how to attend church. Man, Attending church on Sunday morning, I don't know what happens on Sunday morning, some kind of crazy spiritual warfare in homes. It is hard to get children to church on Sunday morning, okay? I, I don't know how it is that we can get to work like by 8 a.m. and school by 8 a.m., but man, something just happens on Sunday mornings. But I want you to think about what Scripture teaches us about the rhythms. Think in terms of starting the night before. What about if, before Sunday, if your goal is, you know what, I want to get there early, get the kids checked in, get the grandkids checked in, I want to sit in the, in the auditorium with a cup of coffee, have some, some peace, a moment to pray, then the service starts, I, I get to hear all the songs and worship, hear the scripture, then start the night before, lay out all the clothes, plan what you're going to do for breakfast the next day, get a good night's sleep, get everything ready to go. And teach your ch children how to, to go to church. Part of attending church is being ready the night before. Here's why that's important. 
one day your child, your stepchild, your grandchild is going to go off to college. And even if they want to go to church, they intend to go to church, they say, yeah, I'll go to church tomorrow. And then Saturday night, they stay out way too late hanging out with friends. And the next morning, it's just too easy to hit the snooze alarm. And so then a, a week goes by and then two weeks, and then it's so easy for a semester to go by. Teach them the rhythm of preparing to go to church the night before. Teach them to attend. Teach them to serve. There are opportunities to serve alongside your children. I know that in our house, we want our children to walk out of our home and their church attendance. It's going to be natural for them to want to be a part of it and serve. Find a way to serve with your children. If you have older children, you can serve in the kids' ministry alongside your children. What a beautiful moment that would be. Attend with them and then serve with them. There are ways for your children to serve. Here's the last thing to teach them, how to attend, how to serve, and how to give. One of the most exciting things that Rebecca and I have been doing with our oldest, she's five, is teaching her to give. Uh, we started this fall. We sit down. I, I sit down with her on Saturdays. Some, day, some Saturdays I forget, and I have to do it double up the next weekend. But we sit down, and, and I give her her allowance. And it's, it's 10 dimes. And I slide the 10, 10 dimes. And the first week I said, okay, Scarlett, you, every week I'm going to give you 10 dimes. That's your allowance. That equals $1. And, and I want you to get out three things. I want you to get an offering envelope. I, have, I got a whole stack of them. Every week she takes out another one. She gets her piggy bank, and then she gets her little wallet. And I slide the 10 dimes. I said, what's the first thing that you do with your allowance? What's the first thing? And I said, the first thing, I want you to take one dime, and I want you to put it in that offering envelope. And I said, um, and here's why. I said, Scarlett, who owns everything in the world? She said, well, God does. That's right. Everything belongs to God. So what does that mean about your blanket? Well, I guess it belongs to God. That's right. Your blanket actually doesn't belong to you. Your, your blanket. What about, what about your stuffed bunny? Who does that belong to? That actually belongs to God. And so this is actually a gift from God. And so what he wants to do is to first give back to him. And so she put that little dime in there and she sealed it up. And then um, before we're done, she colors the envelope as worship to Jesus. She colors it. And I asked her, what color do you think Jesus wants you to color it this week? And so she'll color it for Jesus. So I want her to bring that in every week. It's part of her, her worship. Then the second dime she puts in her piggy bank to save. And then the, the other, uh, the remaining eight dimes that first week I said, now this you can, you can spend. And I want you to talk to Jesus about how you spend this because it all belongs to him. But you can go buy stuff. You could, buy, you could save up and buy a baby doll. You could buy something for your little brother. You could do something nice for someone. But this is for you. So that was the first week. By about the third or fourth week, one, one Saturday she said, um, hey, Daddy, I'm going to give two dimes to Jesus this week. Is that okay? I was totally not ready for that. Well, yeah, sure, you can give two dimes. And a couple weeks later, she says, Daddy, I'm going to give all ten dimes to Jesus this week. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you really don't understand the value of money. <laughs> all right, I, we got we to have a little conversation. I'm about to launch into this lecture about how you got to give and save and spend. And I felt this nudge from God, what are you doing? Are you really interrupting the lesson that I'm, by the way, I'm teaching your daughter, not you, you idiot, okay? I don't think he used the word idiot, but I'm not 100% sure, all right? He said, were you really about to interrupt your daughter and help her understand the value of going to the dollar section at Target and buying something that will break before she gets home and interrupt the lesson I'm teaching her on generosity? No, absolutely not. I was not going to do that. And so she each week puts in however many dimes before the Lord, and it's now part of her rhythm. I mean, imagine, like, what that unlocks in her, what that could unlock in your grandchild, what that could unlock in your children. 
if they learn generosity from an early, an early age. By the way, um, the impact that's had on me, that same night I walked out, I felt another nudge from God, and where he basically said, by the way, what you use your dimes for, not that much more sophisticated than the dollar section in Target, by the way. He challenges us as we build these rhythms in. Help them learn how to attend, how to serve, how to give. Can I give you a gut check on this one before we go to the last one? There's a lot of studies that talk about where our culture is spiritually, where our children and these new generations are spiritually, and we can kind of track that backwards, kind of like what's been the movement of society. But not long ago, a study came out that was a little different. It projected forward. And what this is called, the, the Pine Tops Foundation put out the study, and they said, if the trend continues over the next 30 years, one million children that are currently in a Christian household will walk away from the faith every year. One million children a year who are currently in a Christian household will walk away from their faith. Now that's, according to the study, either the greatest crisis or greatest opportunity, and we as a church view that as an opportunity. But here's what I know as for me in my house. I, I, don't, I can't speak for all million of those children. I can speak for these little ones that he's given Rebecca and I. I know what our priority is. I'm just going to shoot straight with you as one of your pastors, and I'm probably going to make some of you mad. Our culture does not have a value for what happens bringing our children to church every single week as a weekly biblical rhythm. Our culture doesn't respect that, so there's a lot of great activities that your child can do on the weekend. You say, man, it's hard, you know, little Johnny's in lacrosse, and, you know, I think he really excels at it. He could get a scholarship one day. I mean, he's good, but he could really excel in the league. They play on Sundays. You know, what do you, uh, they play during church. I mean, what do you want me to do? You know, they, the opportunity he could go into student ministry or this, I mean, this activity, and, and I really think he could, he could excel. Can I just shoot straight with you what I know for, uh, at least in my home? If the option is being good, not excellent at an extracurricular activity, or my children knowing and loving Jesus and loving the bride of Christ, the local church, that is an easy decision 100 times out of 100. Church, let me plead with you. Please make it part of your regular weekly rhythm that your children can hear the gospel. You don't have that many weekends over the course of 18 years. Please use them wisely. Here's the last one, yearly. What I want you to write in that blank. Hijack the holidays. There are moments every, every year, throughout the year, where you can use that and infuse spiritual development into that moment. Um, whether it's Thanksgiving in the house I grew up in, my mom put up like uh, at Thanksgiving week, she put up this poster board and everyone was required to write a few things they were thankful for. Okay, when I was in seventh grade, I was like, mom, are we doing this again? But we did it. It took the opportunity to train us to be thankful before the Lord. At Christmas time, the family Rebecca grew up in, every uh, Christmas Eve, before they would have a family celebration, they would as a family go and serve the homeless. Every Christmas Eve, it was their 
It was their annual rhythm. Why? Because that's the story of the gospel. We who were spiritually poor were visited by Jesus from heaven, and he brought us hope. And so that was their regular rhythm. I mean, what could be done? Just if you sit down for a few minutes and map out your year, I mean, what could be reclaimed at New Year's? What could be reclaimed on MLK Day? What could be reclaimed on Valentine's Day? What could be reclaimed at Easter? Sometimes it just takes a couple moments so that we can map out, how am I going to make sure my children don't believe Easter is about a bunny and chocolate? What's my game plan? Hijack the holidays. How about birthdays? What if their birthdays was not the biggest celebration about them every year? What if it was their rebirth day? What if the day that, that they put their faith in Jesus or the day that they were baptized was the biggest celebration you had for them every year? How awesome would that be? You, you are building culture. What you celebrate is what they will value. Think in terms of these rhythms, hourly. Think in terms of daily. Think weekly. Think yearly. Okay, let me give you just three tips at the bottom. Three very basic things. You can write these in. One, make it fun. Remember the annual rhythms? They were feasts. They were parties. Make it fun. Second thing, make it sustainable. Okay, you planners, you are in your mind, you have a 10-point outline you're working with and a PowerPoint presentation. Make sure it's sustainable, it's realistic. Come together with your spouse if you're, if you're married and come together with an actual, realistic, sustainable plan. Keep it simple. And here's the last one, don't give up. At first, the first time you try this, with your teenager, you're like, all right, let's read this bi the Bible. It says, okay, you know, fruit of the Spirit is uh, love, joy, uh, gentleness. You know, anyone, um, what, what do you guys think? What stuck out to you? Well, Dad, it's that you're grumpy all the time. That's going to happen, okay? That moment is going to happen. Say, you know what? You're right. I'm challenged by this. You know what? Can you pray for me? I am grumpy. You make me grumpy, actually. And <laughs> Actually, next week, we're going to talk about children obey your parents, all right? We're going to do a year-long study on that, okay? Don't go there, all right? Just stay cool. Don't give up. Okay, it's going to be, you're going to be tripping through it. Just learn and find what the rhythm is. All right, you say, all right, I, I, am I too late? My, my children are teenagers. Or my grandchildren are teenagers. My stepkids are teenagers. Like, are we too late? Please, absolutely not. Well, how do I incorporate this? I mean, it's going to be weird to all of a sudden do something different. If you have a teenager in your home or you have a, a, a grandchild who's a teenager, sit down with them. Sit down with this worksheet and co-create it with them. Hey, how can we do this better? Get their input. Bring them in on the process. Okay, but how hard do I push? I mean, like, how hard do I push my, my teenagers? Okay, I heard a pastor once talk about parenting is, is like holding a bar of soap. If you hold it too tight, it squirts out. If you hold it too loose, it falls out. I don't know what that looks like with the personality and the makeup and the background of your home, but you've got to think in terms of, am I so forcing them to do it that they're going to walk away as soon as they're out of my home? Or am I so lax if you could do it if you want that I'm not urging them far enough? There are some homes that the way that your home's wired, your kids operate, it needs to be like a, hey, this is what we do in my house. 
and I know you came back from college and you're living in, in our home for a while, but this is what happens in our house. We go to church. For some of you, that's the right move. For others, the right move is, you know, hey, I'd love for you to come to church, you know, or, 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 or help, let me help you find a church that you connect with. Sometimes you've got to figure that out prayerfully, how to strike that balance, but don't give up. Let me say one last thing. For some of you, you think about this, you're like, man, I, I'm just discouraged. How, how do I do this? Is it too late? No, maybe prayer for you is over a text message across the country. It's a scripture once a week. It's a, hey, can I, I know you got a big game up coming up or a big exam. Can I, can I just call you and pray for you? Find a way. Some of us hear this and you walk out of here discouraged. Please don't be discouraged. The hope for your kids, your future kids, your grandkids, your hope for them, it's never been about your parenting. That's not where your hope resides. You know, there's an ancient riddle that the ancient Greeks used. And I bet you've heard it before. It goes like this. What walks on four legs at dawn, two legs at noon, three legs in the evening? And the answer to that is, uh, is a human. In the dawn of life, it crawls on all fours. At midday, what they called noon, like the middle part of life, we walk on two, two legs. And then towards the, the twilight, the evening of life, we, you know, sometimes we walk with a cane. So symbolically, three legs. And so what's interesting about this is it shows, it's using the day as like the life cycle. But notice when the day starts. It starts in the morning and ends in the evening. That would be Greek thought on the day. The evening is, is death. And I wonder if that view of the day, that it starts in the morning and ends in the evening, I wonder if that reveals what we view of our life cycle. Our birth is the beginning, and death is the end. That's not the biblical life cycle. It starts with nighttime, but that's just the beginning. Baked in from Genesis 1 when he said evening and morning, he's saying something about our life cycle. Death is just, just the beginning. There's new life. And that doesn't make sense until all the way at the end with Jesus. Because he died and rose again to brand new life. Eternity is just the beginning. Our hope is not in anything other than the risen Lord. You have someone so much more powerful than your parenting techniques to rely on. You have the one that defeated death itself. He is watching over your future children, your young children, your high school children, your stepchildren, the children that live with your ex, your grandchildren that live across the country. He is watching over your children. Do not lose And he is also your hope. We have no re reason to walk out of here discouraged or defeated today. Because God looks at you and says, you are my child and I love you. That's who you are. There may be some of you here today saying, look, I, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I, 
I believe he died on the cross for me. He paid for my sins. He rose again so that I can live a brand new life in heaven one day that when I die, it's just the beginning of, of life eternally. And I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to be saved. And if that's you, I want to lead you in this simple prayer. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Let me just lead you in this simple prayer right there. Whether you're here sitting in one of these seats or you're watching online, if that's you, you want to put your faith in Jesus and find salvation today. Today could be your moment. Just repeat these words silently in your heart. Just say this. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. Thank you for defeating death. I believe you rose again from the dead. In the same way, I will rise again when I die and live in heaven. You are my hope for salvation. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.